I think a lot of times when we pray, we do a lot of talking and very little listening. And Elijah was convinced that God was going to bring that rain. He, there, was, there was no doubt in his mind. Uh, I've titled this sermon, Praying Things Through, Praying Things Through. Um, I really don't feel like I'm qualified to preach or to teach on such a topic because I feel like a novice in this whole discipline of prayer. It's something that you really can't teach. It's something that has to be caught. It's something that you need to have a burden for and a passion for. And I think we're seeing Elijah's life and a lot of that passion is born out of need and out of a desperate cry, God, you're the only answer that I have. The kingdom of Israel has been so far into apostasy that it was going to take something dramatic to shake Ahab up. And the punishment, the judgment on God's people was drought. And in the midst of that drought, God continued to protect and to provide for Elijah. First through the raven, we read about that, and then through the widow. And in his experience with that widow, he, he sees her agony. He sees her suffering. He sees her pain. And he learned how to pray in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of brokenness. That this widow is pleading, did I... Come, did you come to my house to, to remind me of my sin and my fallenness? And my son now is dead. And Elijah goes and he lays himself and he prostrates himself three times and pleads with God, Oh God, bring breath back into this child. And so Elijah is taught how to pray in the experience and in the battles of life. And that's, that's, that's the way it is with any real Christian doctrine. You don't learn it until you walk it, until you experience it, until you go through it. And i got to confess that my life has been pretty sheltered. We live in a country where we have relative spiritual freedom compared to the rest of the world. I'm reading each morning and each evening a devotional about the third world where Christianity is illegal. And this week I was struck, I mean, I can't get it out of my mind, of this pastor in India riding on a bus to go back to check on his church. And the church building had been burned, the Christians had fled into the jungles, and he returned back to his church. And on the bus ride, he was surrounded by 18 men when he got off. And they threatened him with his life if he didn't recant Jesus. And after eight hours of excruciating torture, they threw his corpse into a river. And as I read the things that they did to this man, I'm thinking in my own mind, that is happening around the world today. And I thought, what would I have done if I had been a passenger on that bus and a follower of Jesus? 
would I have been willing to stand with that man and say, Jesus Christ is our king. He is our God. He is our Savior and our Lord. And Elijah was not afraid to confront the one who was executing, slaughtering the prophets of the one true God. And he stood up to Ahab and he said, there will not be rain until God sends it. That's the kind of people we need in America today. We need people who will stand up for righteousness. But at the end of this passage, we also see a man with humility and a man who subjected himself to the authority that, that be. To run before the chariot was a sign of submission to this is my king. This is my earthly king that I, I, I've got to, to serve. And, and you would the king would have runners to go before them to perceive the way. And Elijah said, even though this man is a godless king, even though he is killing the prophets of Baal, I will submit and I will run before this chariot. And I got to thinking about the people that have done me wrong, the people that have hurt my Christian body here, and I get angry with them, and I find it hard for me to pray for them. And here Elijah said, this wicked king, I'm still going to submit to him, and I'm still going to pray, and I'm going to intercede on his behalf, and I'm going to ask God to send him showers of blessings even though Ahab doesn't deserve a drop. Ahab never repented. The nation of Israel never changed its heart. And yet God in his mercy and God in his grace sent rain to a people who didn't deserve it because there was a man who stood in the gap who made up a hedge for the land so that God would not destroy it. God needs people who will stand in the hedge, stand in the gap and pray for our loved ones, pray for this church, pray for people who are lost. And Ahab was that kind of man. There's a lot of stories in the Bible about people who learned to pray things through. When it got hard, they kept on praying. I think of Daniel, who prayed and fasted for 21 days until he got the answer from God. I thought about Queen Esther, who said, I will fast, and I want your service to fast for three days. And I'm going to continue to fast until I hear from God. And God may not deliver me. And Esther was resolved. I have got through with God, and I have heard his voice. And if I perish, I perish. The story of Esther, the Jews are under a ban to be slaughtered. Queen Esther is a Jew and she's a queen in front of this wicked kingdom. And Mordecai says to her, how do you know if you didn't come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Maybe you're the instrument that's going to intercede and deliver your people. It might be your prayers that intercedes that God breaks through the heart of someone. And it's you who are standing in the gap praying for that loved one. 
Another story that I think of, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, and I just finished the book of Genesis, and I, I love the story of Jacob, even though the guy was a scoundrel. I mean, he, he was a trickster. He connived the, the birthright out of his brother. His brother comes from the field, and he's hungry, and he says, give me some of that. He says, you trade your birthright for this, and I'll, I'll share my stew with you. And sure enough, he got it. And then he connived his old blind father for the blessing. Man, what a dude. He puts on the hair. He puts on his brother's clothes. He smells just like him. And, and poor old Isaac is as blind as a bat. And he, he says, something ain't right here. He says, how did you get that venison so quickly? Man, Jacob, the supplanter, the heel grabber, the deceiver, he says, oh, well, well, God brought it to me. He says, well, well, come here, son. You don't sound like yourself. And he puts his arms around. He starts to smell. He says, man, this guy smells like Esau. He doesn't sound like him. Then he grabs his hand. Well, it's hairy enough. Jacob, you're a deceiver. You're a rat. And he gets the blessing. He gets the covenant blessing of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then he has to skedaddle out of town because his brother wants his hide. And for 20 years, Jacob is wrestling for a blessing. And every time his old Uncle Laban changes, he goes and wrestles again. He wrestles with his wives. I mean, it's a mess. The guy's family is dysfunctional. The brothers don't get along. They hate each other. And... and they, they give the maids to, to this guy and say, here, you take and, and you sleep with her and, and let have children be born. I mean, the, the Bible's got some really graphic stories about our sin and our rottenness, and it doesn't hide any of it. And then finally, Jacob says, enough is enough. I'm going back to El Bethel. I'm not just going back to God. I mean, Bethel, the house of God. I'm going back to the God of Bethel. And he says, every one of you, get rid of the household gods. Get rid of all the idols. We're going back to the God who appeared to me when I was running for my brother Esau. That's the God of covenant. That's the God of blessings. And yet, Jacob was fearful and trembling the whole way back. The conniver, the schemer, he tries to placate his brother. Send a bunch of gifts ahead of time. I'll, I'll, I'll fix this. I'll, I'll settle this. And isn't that exactly what we try to do? I'll fix the problem. I'll solve it. Instead, the night before he meets his brother Esau, he gets into a wrestling match with other, none other than the angel of the Lord. And the later minor prophets tell us that this was none other than a theophany. He met Jesus Christ before he met Esau. And he prayed things through. He says, God, I need a blessing. I am so afraid when I meet Esau that it's going to go awry. And he held on to that angel. And he said, I am going to wrestle with you all night. And the angel reminds Jacob, it's not by your strength that you won this wrestling match. Because at any time, I can put your hip right out of joint. It's not by your strength, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, Zechariah says, saith the Lord. It's through prayer 
And then his name was changed to Israel. He says, you have been wrestling with men your whole life. You've been wrestling with God. But Jacob, now you've learned how to wrestle with God and to prevail. That's the kind of people we need to be in prayer, where we wrestle with God and we prevail. And whether God answers the way we want to, or whether we perish, we perish. But we know that we have heard from God, and that God has got our prayers before him, and that our petitions have been heard. We need to be people like that. And Elijah emulates many of those qualities that we can apply to our lives today. And the, the first thing that I see is that Elijah, in this passage, has unshakable faith. Unshakable faith. He says, you go tell Ahab to get up, you go eat, you head to Jezreel, because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. We're told in the Gospel of Mark, verse chapter 11, that we are to pray believing, and believing those things that we have, we will receive them. Nothing in the Christian life is ever accomplished apart from faith. We walk by faith, don't we? We begin the Christian life, how? By faith. How do we run the Christian life? We run it by faith alone. Elijah had unshakable faith. He says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear it right here in my heart. When you begin to pray to God, and you have a lifetime of prayer, you are in tune with the Spirit of God, and you know God's voice. This, this is rare. But I've been reading Christian biographies ever since I was about 20 years old. And I'll tell you, every biography of every great Christian hero that I've ever read about, Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor, he began to pray years and years before he ever went to China. He learned to live on a pence a day because he prayed. He, he didn't have a job, and he would pray, and God would give him a job. He had had no way to pay his rent, and Hudson Taylor would pray, and an envelope would come to him and provide for what he needed that day. Hudson Taylor said this, God's work, God, done God's way, will never lack God's supply. He was a man who heard because he knew and he walked with God. You read the stories of William Carey, who went to India and spent 40 years there, translated year after year after year. And then the barns where all of his manuscripts went up in flames and it was all lost. And William Carey said this, I have learned that I can plod. I can plod with the help of God. I'll get back and I'll start the manuscript work all over again. And William Carey saw 800 people from India turn to Christ in his lifetime. That was a man who learned how to pray. You read the story of Amy Carmichael, a little, little girl growing up in Northern Ireland. And she would pray day after day, God, give me blue eyes. <laughs> She had the darkest, deepest brown eyes. And God sent her to India with those deep, dark, brown eyes. And Amy Carmichael opened up her arms to little street kids 
and saved them from lifetimes of prostitution and child traffic. You read about any of these great heroes of the faith, and there's one unequivocal theme that runs through every life. They were people of prayer. Elijah had unshakable faith. Now, what gave him that unshakable faith? I think we've got to back up one verse. Elijah dealt a death blow to sin. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishron, and he executed them there. Then Elijah says to Ahab, get up and eat. I have executed what God has called me to do. When you and I are walking in obedience, and when we are dealing with sin in our lives, we can have confidence that God hears us. A verse that I memorized a long time ago was Psalm 66, 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. Elijah says, before I'm going to pray for rain, we've got to deal with this apostasy. We've got to execute it. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to take 850 prophets who have led this country down the wrong path. You look at the Old Testament command for the false prophets who were leading people away, and it was capital punishment. And Elijah said, I am not going to compromise God's word. I am not going to compromise God's standard. And when you are walking in the Holy Spirit's fullness, and you are walking in obedience to God's word, you can have confidence when you pray. 1 John, I've been reading it with a brother here, and this verse came to my mind in 1 John 3.21. Behold, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and we do those things pleasing in His sight. Unshakable faith is based on radically dealing with sin, and it's because we're not double-minded. Elijah gave two commandments because he was listening with his heart. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I know what God has given to me. I know what God has told me to do. If we go back to chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, third year of this horrible drought, saying, go present your Ahab, to yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the earth. That was God's promise. We sing that beautiful old hymn, standing on the promises of God. That's how you and I ought to pray. We pray God's word. We pray God's promises. And we don't do it with a double mind. The book of James tells us this, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave on the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. 
Let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord, for a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Elijah had a word from God. He had a promise from above. That's why he knew rain was coming. He had dealt with the false prophets. That's why he knew the rain was coming. And if you and I will do the same thing, if we will deal with sin radically in our lives and not pussyfoot around about it, Jesus said this, if your hand is offending you, cut it off. If your eye is offending you, pluck it out. You can't coddle your sin. Flee temptation. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We are no match for our sin, but God is, Christ is. The new man will have victory if we will put him on and put off and put to death our members that are on this earth. And that's the kind of praying that we need to have. Unshakable faith dealing with sin radically. Unshakable faith that's not double-minded. The second thing I see about Elijah, he's undaunted by discouragement. This guy prays seven times. And all it took was a little tiny cloud coming up out of the sea. And it says in Hebrew, literally, the size of the palm of a hand, a fist. That's all it was. That's all it took for him to say, yes, God is acting. God is doing something. God is stirring the clouds up over there. And I know the rain is coming. He wasn't discouraged after prayer one. He wasn't discouraged after prayer two, after three, after four, after five, after six. It was the seventh time he says, I see that cloud coming. That's what it means to pray things through. You know God's told you to pray for this. You've got your sin confessed. You're living in obedience to his commandment. You've got faith based on the word of God. And you say, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I'm going to stick it out in prayer. Now, what did Elijah do? First thing he did, he got alone with God, didn't he? Let's look at our text. He tells Elijah, you get up and you go to eat. Head off to Jezreel. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He went up on the top of the mountain alone. Jesus often resorted to the top of the mountain alone to be with God. Second thing he did, Elijah got on the ground. Let's continue to read it. He went on the top of the mountain. Then he bowed down on the ground. Now there's nothing mystical, there's nothing supernatural, there's nothing extra spiritual about our posture in prayer. Solomon got on his knees and he raised his hands. This week I was reading about some of the great saints that, that prayed and they all had different ways of praying. You would go into the bedroom of John Wesley and he would be on his knees at his bed. And you could go to the house where he was lived and you can actually see divots in the floor where John Wesley spent so much time on his knees. But what does this tell us about Elijah that he got on the ground? This is a position of abject humility.
humility is in this. And this should be the posture of our heart. Psalm 138, can't remember the exact address on it, but it says, Though God is very high, yet he has respect unto the humble, but the proud he knows afar off. God is near the humble and brokenhearted, Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is a humble and contrite spirit. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He got alone, he got on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. That means he shut everything out. He isolated himself. These are the kind of prayers that God hears. Not these half-hearted prayers that I pray half the time when I'm going down the road and I've got the window down and I'm listening to, the, to my radio on my phone, you know, whatever I'm doing. And I'm, so, and I'm not saying that God doesn't listen to those prayers. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there is something about getting alone with God. Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you will go into your closet and meet God alone, God will reward you openly. That is a promise from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Elijah said, I'm going up on Mount Carmel by myself. I'm going on this mountaintop to be alone. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to shut everything out. And then he learned perseverance, didn't he? He went up, and he looked out, and there was nothing. He went the seventh time, and there it was. This is what I want, and I don't want you to miss this point this morning. Our persistence in prayer tells us what we believe about the character of God. Do I believe God is good, even when he doesn't answer me the first time? Do I believe God really cares about my heart when he doesn't answer me the second time? Do I believe God is all-powerful when he doesn't answer me the third time? Do I really believe that God is who he says he is? Our perseverance really shows what we believe about the character of God. And most of all, our perseverance transforms us. Jesus prayed three times in the garden, and on his third time he says, Nevertheless, let your will be done. Now, God never took that cup of his wrath away from Jesus, did he? But Jesus prayed through and he heard his voice and he said, let's go, my betrayer is at hand. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he was heard when he prayed to the one who was able to save him from death and that he submitted himself and he obeyed. So sometimes God says no and this is what I'm going to do with you and God will change us as we persevere in prayer. There's two parables that are told in Luke's gospel about perseverance in prayer. One of them 
there's a guy who's already in bed. He's got his kids in bed with him. And his friend comes knocking at the door and says, I've got some food. I don't have any food. Will you give me a loan a loaf of bread? This is Luke chapter 11. He says, no, no, go get out of here. I'm already in bed. My kids are in bed with me. Forget it. Go somewhere else. And the guy just keeps knocking on the door. And he finally says, you know what? He's not going to go away. <laughs> That's the way we ought to be. I am not going to go away, Lord, because I know there's bread and I know you can feed me. No one else can provide for me. And it says, because of his importunity, that's old King James English. And folks, that is the best translation. As I looked them up all this week, ESV, New King James, and we don't use those words anymore. So I had to look it up on Google. And it means to ask until you're embarrassed. Until people look at you and say, golly, will you just stop? That's the word that Jesus used, that Luke translated. The other time is in Luke chapter 18. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't lose heart. And he tells about this little widow lady. And she goes to this judge. He doesn't care anything about people. And he doesn't even fear God. And she comes day after day after day after day saying, will you avenge me of my enemy? Will you avenge me? Will you avenge me? And he finally says, I've had enough of this lady. What does she need? Just give it to her so I can be done with her. And then Jesus says, do you hear what that just, just, unjust judge said? And then he asks a question. How much more will not your Father in heaven give you good things? You see, it's the character of God. How much more will our God give us good things? And then the end of this parable, it says, but when Jesus comes, will he find faith on this earth? He's not talking about apostasy of us going away from God in the end times. That's not what he's talking about. The context, the direct articles in the original language, and it could be translated, will I find this kind of faith when I come back? People who trust me, even when it's hard, even when they don't get an answer the first time, the second time, the third time, fifth time, the seventh time, yes, there it is, a little cloud that's rising up out of the sea. I've been praying for one of my children for about six years, and I'm not going to give up. As long as I've got breath, I'm going to pray for these children of mine that are not walking with Jesus. And yesterday, God showed me a little hand starting to rise up out of the sea. When I was with that child, that child began to cry in my presence. Wrapped her arms around me. And I haven't been able to quote scripture in a long time. I told her, those who love much are forgiven much. Because she'd open up her home to a friend that really didn't deserve it, and she was just broken for this friend. And I told her, I says, love covers a multitude of sin. Instead of her pushing me away, she grabbed me and squeezed me tighter. Now, I don't know what God is doing, but I know God is at work. 
And I know God hears, and I know God listens, and I know my God cares. Because that's what Jesus is like. Jesus is moved with compassion. And we ought to go to our God and say, God, I trust your character. And I'm going to persevere in my prayers. The joy, the joy of seeing the answers to prayer. Elijah sees the answer. The drought ends. God is gracious. There's a small cloud, as small as a hand rising in the sea. So he said, go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. That's pretty confident, isn't it? You get ahead. Now it happened in the meantime. Now this word, in the meantime, there's no way to translate this idiomatic expression in the Hebrew language. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says, and upon thus, and upon thus. It's a Hebraic expression that means immediately. And this is, this is what's happening here. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying, and God is tearing long and tearing long and tearing long. But when the answer comes, it comes speedily. That's exactly what Jesus said in the parable of the widow who comes before the judge. Though he tarry long with his elect, yet he will answer them Speedily. The prophet Habakkuk said, God, how long do I have to pray? How long do you have to show me iniquity and you aren't giving me an answer? And then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go stand upon thoughts because I know God's going to rebuke me. And then the answer comes and he says, write it on the tablet so that the runner can take it and read it because the answer is going to come. He says, though I tarry, it will come and it's going to come speedily. And the writer of Hebrew picks up on that, and he paraphrases it. And this is what he says. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. When God answers, it's going to be there when he needs to, and it's going to be completely sufficient, and it's going to completely blow your mind away when God does it. And you're going to be saying, wow, God, that happened out of nowhere. You just did it. I read in the story about Jim Cimbala. And his Tuesday night prayer meeting, they've been praying for their daughter week after week after week. And one Tuesday night, one woman got up and she says, I just feel like we need to pray for your daughter, Jim. And the entire church prayed and prayed and they agonized in, in prayer. And he came home that night and he said, if there's a God in heaven, this is over. He's talking to his wife. She goes, what happened? She goes, we prayed it through. God heard us. The next morning at the breakfast table, Carol ran upstairs and says, Jim, your daughter's home. And she's got tears coming down her face. And she says, Dad, who prayed for me last night? Who was praying for me? Her daughter went to sleep and she had a vision that she was falling into the abyss of hell. And a hand reached out and grabbed her and says, you are still my daughter. And the next morning she came up, I don't know what God does in prayer. And I'm not telling that you and I ought to look for visions and look for dreams. But our God is in heaven and our God does what he wants to do when his people will cry out. 
Why don't we see miracles like the third world? Because we've got our doctors, we've got our stores, we've got our technology. It's not that God is not, God's dead. We are dead to our God. That's the problem. Our God is just as big. Our God is just as powerful as it was in the book of Acts. But our theology has written God out the window. I'm serious. We have. The book of Acts, when the church got under pressure, they didn't go hire a lawyer. They got on their knees before God. And they said, God, you have made heaven and earth. Grant to your servants with all boldness we may speak your word. And the place where they were praying was shaken. And they went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The joy of answered prayer. The joy of answered prayer. When it comes, it comes all sufficiency. It comes promptly and it comes miraculously. We seem in our own minds that God seems to be tearing. But our God is always on time. And then... Elijah, through prayer, was strengthened supernaturally to do what no one else could do. And it wasn't the physical running. Yes, God empowered him. The hand of the Lord came upon him. But I think it took God's spirit and God's hand for him to say, you know what? I'm going to run. I'm going to be the runner before this wicked Ahab. I'm going to submit and I'm going to show him that I'm still his servant Even though I serve God, I want to point Ahab to the God who brings the rain. What can we take away from this this morning? Our usefulness is nothing apart from prayer and surrender. John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We need to to hone in on that, don't we? Second, persistent, passionate prayer is done best when we are alone with God. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. It came to pass in those days that Jesus went out into the mountain and he prayed to God and he continued all night in prayer. Three, when we are walking in close communion with God, we will trust his character, we will hear his voice, we will hold on to his promises. Again, I just want to remind you of Queen Esther. She fasted for three days And she was resolved, if I perish, I perish. It's in God's hands. That's the way God wants us to live as a praying people. Now this morning, I'm going to do something really different. A lot of times we come in here, we say a prayer and we go out. But God spoke to me this morning, not in an audible voice, but as I was in bed praying, he says, there's people you need to pray for in your church this morning. And so I'm going to ask Charles if he'll just come up. And if Ron and Dennis will come with me. But Charles has had prostate cancer. If you want to just sit here, um, brother. And 
It's come back, but it's, it's treatable. He's getting radiation treatment. Keith, if you'll come as well. And we sang that song, Our God Heals. Our God's a healer. I believe that, and I know you do too. And God's command is if there's any man sick among you, they can call for the elders of the church and lay hands on him and pray for him. And I just want to pray for his treatment, and I want to pray that the doctors will know exactly what to do. And if the radiation doesn't get it, let God just cleanse his body and heal him 100%. So let's just uh, pray for him right now. Father God, you are almighty God. You're all-powerful. Lord, we bring to you our friend, our brother in Christ. And God, you told us not to worry about anything. And God, it's so hard not to worry when you get the diagnosis of cancer. God, we're flesh, we're people. And sometimes we're fearful when we're in the boat and we see the waves. But Lord Jesus, you're in the boat with Charles. And so we're calling on you, the same Jesus who rebuked the wind is the same Jesus that we serve. And so we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would just heal our brother completely, Father, that this cancer would be eradicated from him, God. We praise you and we thank you that it was detected so early, Lord. We thank you that the doctors are confident that the radiation will heal him. But God, we're not trusting in that. We're trusting in Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God who heals all of our diseases. And we're giving him to you and we're asking you in the name of Jesus to anoint his body with the power of your prayer and the power to heal his body. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, you guys stay up here. <laughs> um, tomorrow night, Dr. Susan Goers, we call her, we can call her Sue here. Um, she's having an open house <coughs> for her school that she's opening up and trying to have more students next year. Ron and Sue came to Utah as church planters in a way. They wanted to build schools here to reach children for Jesus Christ. They started a school over in Riverdale and the enemy closed it down didn't close it down, but just took control of it, and the headmaster's no longer a believer. Came out here two miles from here and started a charter school, a public school, and taught the Bible every single day. Started the school with prayer, and the state of Utah shut it down. And the enemy's just fighting every step of the way, and I just sense that she's under oppression, and so today I want to pray, one, that... Sue would be able just to get to the point where she casts this burden on God and that she doesn't carry it. That God will just lift this burden and she'll say, you know what? If the school fails, it fails. If it perishes, it perishes. And if God, you intervene, it, you intervene. Second, that she'll have the heart and the attitude to display Christ-likeness to every parent and everyone that comes into that building, that they'll see the joy of the Lord as her strength. Because... Ten years of seeing the enemy just kick you in the teeth, you start to lose your joy for what you're doing. 
And I don't want to see Satan rob her of her joy. So I want us to pray for, for Sue this morning that God would, one, that she could just cast all of her cares on the Lord, and second, that she could just have the confidence to know that God's in control and that God would just give her that joy that she had 12 years ago when she came to Utah to rebuild those, to, to, to reach our young people. So it's just this morning I just want the church together to, to pray, and, and I'm going to ask her husband to pray for her. <laughs> this fellowship Lord as we work through our challenges together. Amen. 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 Yeah. Father, thank you for Sue and Ron's vision and their heart. Amen. That their passion to see young people, the next generation, have an opportunity to hear who you are. Amen. Uh, morning if anybody else just has a special burden our invitation this morning is just please just uh, we can stand up or just say hey pray for me this is what I've got going on this week uh, so that's really the invitation this morning is God's spirit is moving and asking is there anyone that has a just a special need this morning that we can pray for um, yes Carol Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carol.
uh, relieve and restore her lungs, Lord God, Amen. in their normal capacity, Amen. Father God, that they would be made new. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, God, that we can come to you, Lord God, to give you our burdens and our Amen. cares and our Amen. concerns. Oh, Father, because you love us, Lord God, so we do that now, Lord, we turn to you, Father. We look to the only God who can hear and act, Lord, and we ask that you would touch Carol in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 I'm not going to close until the Holy Spirit says it's time to close. <laughs> Anybody else? It just says, would you just let's pray for this situation? I do um, have a, a couple of things that Dennis hasn't said anything, but I want us to, as a church, to pray for him. He's on the front lines. He teaches math because he has to. <laughs> but he teaches more Bible than math. And the other day, he took his entire math class because one of his students says, what do I need to do to be forgiven of my sin? And that's because he opens up the Bible every day over at Leighton Christian Academy. Not very Christian, but they've got a Christian who's working there and is a light for... for so I, I just I asked the church this week to be praying for Dennis and I ask a special prayer request for Judy, God. She's not out here this morning. She's working with our children. But Judy works at the rescue mission on Wall Avenue. And she's on the front lines. I mean, there's drug addicts. There's schizophrenics. There might even be demoniacs. We don't know that come into that, that refuge. And she puts clothes on them. She gives them a place to sleep. She feeds them. She prays for them. And that is one godly lady. And we need to pray that God puts his hedge of protection around her and that God would just give her fruit and that she would see changed lives. So those are just a couple of things that, that God put on my heart this morning. So I'm going I'm to pray for Dennis and pray for Judy as we close. And Maybe you just want to raise your hand and just say, Pastor, just pray for me. Amen. Amen. What's her name? Pat. Aunt Pat. If you didn't hear that, Lindsay wants us to pray for her aunt who's in the process of leaving the LDS religion. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Every one of us has got somebody that we're sharing Jesus with, I hope. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, we pray for Lindsay's aunt. God, I pray for her husband also, Lord, as he watches her life, sees the fruit of the change that Jesus has wrought. I pray, Father, that Lindsay will just put on a meek and gentle and godly spirit so that with even without a word, she will win her husband to Jesus. Father, we pray for her aunt, God. We rejoice today. God, there's more joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. And so, God, we pray that Aunt Pat, that you would open the eyes of her understanding, Lord. 
God, that you would convince her that Jesus Christ is God eternal. God, that you would reveal to her that Christ paid it all on Calvary, that he triumphed over our sin. God, that Aunt Pat would just come to the foot of the cross and call out as the thief did and just say, Lord, remember me. God, we thank you that salvation is so simple. And God, the enemy has made it so complicated and so convoluted. And so pray, Father, today that you would take and rebuke the devil. We're told in 2 Corinthians, it is the God of this age who blinds the minds of those who don't believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel would shine on them. So God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would rebuke the devil. God, that you would dispel the darkness, God. And that soul of hers that was created in the image of God would cry out and would long for the Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. God, I pray for my brother Dennis. Lord, this week that you would fill him and anoint him with your spirit. God, I pray that you would open doors for him to speak the word of truth to those students. And God, we pray that you'll start a revival at that school that one student will get saved and take it to another student, just like the woman at the well went back and said, I met a man who told me everything I ever did, and he still loves me, and he gave me living water. God, we pray for Judy, that you would fill her with your presence. Empower her, God. Protect her from the enemy. Use her, God, as your hands, your feet, your love to that community downtown. God, We thank you for Judy. We cherish her ministry, God, and we stand with her in prayer in Jesus' name.